think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 332 of Low Limit Football on this 17th of July, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Italy are kings of Europe as they come from behind to defeat England in London. Gijo Donnarumma, named player of the tournament, and then runs off to PSG. The Gold Cup is kicked off with an early surprise to Mexico and a devastating injury to Chucky Lozano. And Lionel Messi breaks the international curse as Argentina reigns supreme in South America with a huge upset of Brazil at the Maracanã. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Roy Neymar from Mundo Albi Celeste, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Uh, celebrating, my man? Uh, yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know the rest I mean, of us are. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, if, unless you're English or Brazilian, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, again, my congratulations to you for winning the Euros. Obviously, it's a tournament that Italy haven't won in quite some time. Obviously, you've seen your team win two World Cups in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, another achievement, I guess, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming Rome from what we... What we've what we've seen so far, and yeah, I, I can't wait to dissect what we did with Roy uh, in terms of the Copa America, and obviously with the Euros as well, mm -hmm. with how Italy were able to do it. You know, I made the prediction a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the uh, the winner between England and uh, in Italy, and I said all all roads lead to Rome. Um, I predicted two one. Uh, it didn't quite go as easily as that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, certainly happy. And, and, you know, we might as well jump into the show proper because, uh, we are skipping, uh, trivia this week and technically opening thoughts is going to be the euros because this is more of a reactionary pod to the two championships that were played over last weekend. So let's, let's just get right into it with the, uh, with the euros and again, Italy with a one, one draw against, uh, England in the European final. Uh, winning three two on penalty kicks, uh, it was it was certainly, uh, you know, from my perspective, a very 
exciting, um, intriguing final. Uh, we start out with Luke Shaw in the second minute, scoring that goal uh, where things really looked bleak for Italy. And, and, and England jumped out completely on the front foot for me. And then you saw England withdraw. You saw them kind of almost start to pack it in a little bit. And as they continued to pack it in and pack it in, pack it in, Italy started to grow and grow and grow. Leads to the uh, the free kick, not the free kick, I'm sorry, set-piece goal by Leo Bonucci in the 67th minute. Uh, I was on Talk Sport, and I did say that on that goal, and, and Roberto, if you can remember the goal itself, um, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. But for me, if Leo Bonucci doesn't bury that chance, Italy goes to the penalty spot anyway because Giorgio Chiellini got dragged down. I think it was by Harry Maguire. I haven't gone back and looked at the tape since, but Chiellini was completely dragged down. It would have gone to VAR. There would have been a penalty there. Um, Bonucci finishes up. He cleans up the garbage in front of the net. 1-1. We go to penalties eventually. And um, and and obviously, Gareth Southgate makes substitutions just before the end of the extra time to get Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho onto the pitch because he wants them to take penalties. I get it. Um, Kane makes, Maguire makes. Then the last three, including Rashford and Sancho, all miss. Uh, Rashford off the post. Sancho and Saka are saved by Gijo Donnarumma, who's named player of the tournament. Um, and, and and we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but I think he gets that overall because as they come up, Italy's uh, 3-2. They need to make this this penalty to win the tournament. None other than Jorginho. And we know Jorginho is fantastic at penalties. He's deadly from the spot. And this was probably the poorest penalty he's ever taken in his life. And it wasn't terrible, but let's give Pickford some credit for making the save. And now it gets to Saka's foot. 19 years old, the weight of England on his shoulders. And he, he again, a similar penalty to what Jorginho took. Not terrible, but not great. Um, and, and Gigi Donnarumma at all six foot five of him saves it and, and Italy wins the tournament. Um, Roberto, I want to, I want to discuss some of the choices that Gareth Southgate made, uh, in terms of leading up to the, the, the penalties, who, who took the penalties when they took the penalties. Um, and I said this also on, on radio, uh, the other night when, when, when Southgate makes these substitutions and he brings on Rashford and Sancho and he's got Saka taking that penalty fifth, knowing that the kid is really a kid. He's not old enough to drink yet in this country. There's there's a reason. You know, Gareth Southgate is not sitting there going, oh, you know, let's just, you know, let's let's pick five names out of a hat. That's not how this works. Gareth Southgate knows the order. He's known the order before they even stepped onto the pitch. He's known who's going to take those penalties, when they're going to take them, why they're going to take them, what order they're going to take them, based on, Everything those players have done so far in their careers, what he's seen on them in practice, they've taken practice penalties. This all goes into into factoring that. Um, so the it's unfortunate that they they didn't take the greatest penalties, or that Gijo saved the penalties, or that they hit the post. Um, you know, the goalie is there; he's going to make some saves. But I don't think the decision of of putting these five players on and taking them in this order is something that Gareth Southgate should ever be faulted for because this is the data that's given to him over all the time he spent with the team and all the time he studied his players. This is this is what you've got. And all he can do is put them out there, put them in the best position, and then they have to succeed for themselves. So I don't want to blame Southgate. Having said that, Sancho and Saka are two very, very young players. Now they've played for big crowds. 
They play in the English national team. They've they've played in big matches, and and so they they're accustomed to pressure. It's just it's execution. Um, and we talk about Jorginho, guy coming from Champions League, and 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 taking these penalties, these important penalties for Italy, and again missing the, the final one. So it's you know I don't want to fault him there, and I want to get your reaction to that first as well. Um, for me, obviously, it was good to wait a week to do a pod because my voice was never going to handle this up until maybe Wednesday at best. And um, I, I'm excited. You know, the first Euro since 1968 for them. We had a heartbreak against Spain in a, a few, a uh, couple tournaments ago. A, a Spanish side that was a golden generation that we played to a 1-1 draw in the group stages only to be smashed in the final. Um, this was uplifting. Um, it, it, it had, I had feelings of 2006. I had feelings of 82. And and this was just something enjoyable. But I want to get your reaction to the Southgate uh, comments I made, your reaction to the match, uh, your reaction to all of it. What do you what uh, what do you have to say, my friend? Well, I'll go to obviously the, the decisions that was made in the penalty shootout. I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I think if you are if you are a professional athlete and you have the obligation to to go for it. You know, it's your responsibility. I, again, we don't know the real truth if it's in case of Southgate saying, yes, you're going to take a penalty or they stepped up to to want to take it because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, I think I can argue that, you know, there are players on that side who can indeed take better penalties or, or, or much better penalty specialists than what we saw from Saka and, and, and Sancho and, and even Rashford, obviously. So I'm not faulting them. Um but you do have to also understand like what made into the decision. And now, having said that, I think you know you can't fault these players for what they were able to achieve as well. well we're starting with England, of course, and then we'll get to Italy. But I'm just saying, you know, I, I think you know it, it, it can get to you. That pressure can get to anyone to do to go and step up and take such a decisive penalty to remove all of the of the the 55 years of not winning a major championship at your home ground at Wembley it, it just it, it must be too much and so no, no fault to them and, and and obviously if they did have the opportunity to really say yes I want to step up and take the penalty credit to them but also you know you kind of have to also fault Southgate saying were they really the right choices for this one um, and do they really need to get these type of players in minutes before or who where they were basically just had like a few touches on the ball if at all um, and now having to take these penalties, it's it could be much. Having said that, I think for England they've they've achieved a, a really good thing. I think Southgate has really gotten the best out of these players. You know, obviously making it to a semi final in the World Cup three years ago, and now this final. I think they're on to good things. I think you know I, I would hope that they are among the favorites for for Qatar if they make it. Obviously, this team is still so young. You still got a lot of players that aren't even in the prime of their careers yet. Or just starting to get into it, so no, they they have a, a wonderful generation. I'm curious to see what they will do um, this time around, heading into the next year or so. For Italy, Joe, we we we've said this for quite some time. I can remember conversations not just on here, but on Twitter Spaces, on um, Clubhouse chats as well. Like we knew that Italy was going to be a challenging team. We knew that. People can say that. They weren't really that might be surprised of all this because they didn't make the World Cup um, last time around. But no, the, Mancini has changed his side. This Italy side is completely different to what we saw under um, the 
I forgot his name now because he was so bad. Um, Ventura. Me what it Ventura. Thank you, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and 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 mind you, you know, this is a team that has the experience, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, maybe on his day if he's on form, maybe the best in Gigi Donnarumma. You have the spine of the defense of Chiellini and, and Bonucci, as well as um, obviously a wonderful tournament that was unfortunately hampered due to an injury with Spinazzola. Look at that midfield, Jorginho, arguably one of the best players from the entire year in the season, you would say, not just for club, but for country as well. Verratti, you get in there as well. Barella, um, you know, they, they have the depth in, in the likes of Locatelli and Pessina as well. Then you look at the attack with the likes of Chiesa, Immobile, Berardi, Insigne, Belotti, the list goes on and on. So, no, this is a really well-drilled side by Mancini, and they've really gotten this side to work. And I think it's an, it's an impressive feat, you know, mm-hmm. and I think people, I don't want to say they were underestimating them, but, you know, they, they, they had the talent. It was out there, and they showed it. Okay, it wasn't as crazy maybe in what we saw in the group stage where they scored 10 goals um, in the um, – sorry, not 10 goals, um, 7 goals in the in the group stage. And then they had it a bit more difficult against Austria, Belgium, obviously on penalties against Spain and then against England. But they got the results, and they, they're well-disciplined. And that makes them such a formidable team in tournament football because of it. So – I think we have the deserved winners. I mean, obviously, you know, we could go with the favorites of Germany, France, uh, Belgium, Portugal. They were the ones up there. But Italy, you know, I, I think they had all the right to be the champions. I think they are the deserved champions in the end because of the tournament that they've had. And, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to also see how well they do in the World Cup. I think they're up there as one of the favorites now. Um, and, and you look at the team that and, – and, Joe, obviously, you can probably – have a better analysis on this as well but look at all the players that weren't even selected who maybe missed out on injury or or something they that shows that italy have depth for days and it's very impressive to see yeah i mean the three names that come to mind right off the bat are zaniolo sensi and um pellegrini uh three midfielders that they could have brought um, they couldn't bring because of injury uh, and that adds the depth, like we've said, you know, you've already said Piscina, we said Locatelli, uh, Verratti, Jorginho, Barella. I mean, you know, I've I've been on record a few times now saying that Italy had this um, this massive embarrassment of riches in the midfield right now. Um, and in terms of depth, in terms of depth, I would actually argue that Italy have the best midfield in the world. Um, you know, there there are better midfields in terms of starting midfields, but when you get six, seven eight players deep in the midfield and you are still at a very high level of quality. No other country has that right now. It's, it's incredible uh, to see what they have. And, and I've said this, uh, you know, many times Mancini has a wealth of riches in that position and that, and that, you know, also credit to him because he knows how to use that, how to push those buttons. We thought for sure Locatelli, um, you know, plays in this final somewhere and he never saw the pitch. Uh, but he was a standout at the uh, in the group stages. You know, you've seen so many of those instances. You've seen Varati come on and become more. But really, it was Jorginho that was the anchor in the midfield. We talk about the age of Bonucci and Chiellini, and you're like, oh, my God, well, what are they going to do with them after? I think Bonucci and Chiellini are coming back for the World Cup. I, I really do feel that. Now, whether they feature as well as they did here, I don't know. Um, but if you think about it, you've got a chair to be back there. Di Lorenzo could shift to the middle as well. They have plenty of defenders and they have young defenders too. So this is something that, um, they have an embarrassment of riches. Leonardo Spinazzola. I, I know Gigi Donnarumma got player of the tournament. 
Um, if Spinazzola doesn't go down with that Achilles injury, I think it's absolutely his award. He was he was the key for Italy all the way up to the final. That no team had an answer for him. His speed was devastating. His balls into the box were were incredible, and 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 deadly. And and that's what he brought to the team. And Emerson, you know, like like I said, he he was serviceable. He was he, he did his job, but ultimately, I think this match is not as tight if Leonardo Spinazzola is on the pitch, absolutely causing nightmares for Kyle Walker, who's, again, a very fast defender. But I think it's a very different world when you're dealing with Spinazzola out there versus Emerson, especially when Kyle Walker has familiarity with Emerson playing against him in the in the EPL. Now you bring on a guy that you're not familiar with. You bring on a guy that is much, much faster, at least as fast as you, if not faster, I think he was. I think Spinazzola was clocked as the fastest player in the tournament, if I remember correctly, and I think it creates bigger nightmares for them. So, having said that, though, this is you know, Italy have depth. They have youth too. A lot of the names I've mentioned, nobody's older than twenty five, and they're going to be there for the World Cup. They're going to be there for the next Euro. They're going to be there. You know, obviously we'll go by the wayside of Bonucci and Chiellini, but the rest of that core is there, and. I think I think this Italy side is here to challenge. Now, will they be favorites going into the World Cup in four in next year in Qatar? I don't think they'll be labeled as favorites. I think they'll be labeled as a top choice. I think right now that moniker will still go to uh, France and it'll probably go to Brazil as well. Even though Brazil lost the Copa America, which obviously we go into depth with Roy in a few minutes, but I think this Italy side is going to be. A serious contender. I think they're going to be a serious challenger. I think this England side also, Rob, is a serious contender for the World Cup coming up next year in Qatar. Again, another young side, another very talented side. They are well organized. They they play very well. And one thing we saw from England in this tournament, they defend. And we've not we're not accustomed to seeing a really good defensive England side. We know about the attacking prowess. We know about the speed. We know about the pressure. I don't think, Roberto, I think that one of the biggest surprises of this tournament was that England defended very well, you know, through the entire tournament. I think that's a big deal. I think the world should take notice of that because that's going to help them moving forward. Normally teams, as they learn to defend, grow in defending. And I think the lessons they learned from sitting back on a one-goal lead two minutes in will be learned, and I think they'll be applied coming into the World Cup next year. What what are your thoughts of, of England, you know, becoming a little bit more of this quote-unquote defensive giant, uh, which we've never really seen before. No, and I think it's great. I think, you know, obviously you, you kind of want that kind of um, stability on all ends, you know, similar to what kind of Italy d- used to do in the past. But no, I think it's it's good to have that kind of defensive um, stability, and it allows them to, to really just try to, to set up matches differently depending on the opponent. I think Southgate can understand that, and, you know, he's going to have time to to assess what really works for the World Cup qualifiers and obviously, you know, for the World Cup if they make it. Mm-hmm. I think they can they can definitely improve much more. Even for Italy's case, I think they can definitely improve on some other stuff. I think they can also be a bit more defensively solid. Not saying they should, but they could as well. I think we need to see a bit more of a of a main striker. You know, Immobile is a fantastic player and you know, I love him to bits and he's he's demonstrated so well from for Lazio, but you know, there are times where you don't really see much of him. You know, you don't really see much as well from maybe the wingers as well. And and so they have a lot to improve 
aside from winning this this trophy. Um, but you know, ultimately, I think both those teams, you know, come World Cup time, are going to be among the favorites, not the favorites like you mentioned, like a France or a Brazil or something. But they they will be there to contend, and and I think it's just the case of how they're going to set up that allows them to to go through that tournament. You know, I, I think moving forward, we didn't get a chance to see him here, but we did see him in the. Uh, in the U-20s leading up for qualification for the Olympics. Um, I think the one player that you're going you're gonna to see emerge in that role is going to be Giacomo Raspadori. And I know a lot of people were calling for him, especially when Immobile, who started out this tournament very hot, but then went very cold. Uh, instead of going to Belotti, I think a lot of people were looking for Raspadori to come in and, and take over that mantle. Mancini went with Reliable in, in Andrea Belotti, and, and I get it, but I think... As we move through qualification for the World Cup next year, I think you might get a little more of a dose of Raspadori. Seeing what he does at Sassuolo coming up this season is going to be a lot of fun to watch because I think as that kid grows, he's 21 years old, you're going to see that immersion of him. And um, and I think, I think you're going to maybe find your next Italian striker and we'll see if, if he can deliver on the big stage because that's a very, very big stage to deliver on. So, um, again... Congratulations to the Azzurri for winning uh, the their second European title. Uh, congratulations, I guess, to me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, excited now because as the Gold Cup starts to wind down, we'll start to get back into European football. And I think Italy is going to be a very uh, hot ticket to watch. There are going to be some big challengers for that Scudetto coming up this year across the board. So it's going to be a great, great season. And this is just a prelude to it. So... Let's table our discussion of the European title uh, or the Euro 2020 or close our discussion of the Euro 2020. And let's finish off our discussion of the Copa America 2020 or 2021. We were just recently joined by Roy Neymar, really collecting on a debt, like I had mentioned, uh, where he came back and uh, and joined us because Argentina are victory, are victors in South America and Italy are the kings of Europe. Uh, Argentina, the victors, uh, and the kings of South America. So, without further ado, the Roy Neymar interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, really returning to pay a debt uh, because I was smart enough to put the rolling Neymar gif on our post the last time he was on. Roy Neymar from Mundo Albi Celeste, who it might still be hungover, might still be drunk, but uh, certainly celebrating. Roy, welcome back to the show, and congratulations, my man. How are you? Thank you, buddy. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Good to be back. Great to be back. Um, I'm not sure. Like, could you get hungover if you if you're continuing to drink? Like, no. if you don't stop? No, it's just it's just one continuation of a blur is what it comes down to. But that's okay because I kind of know what you're feeling right now, right? <laughs> so, so well, congratulations on Italy winning the Euros. I, I mean, it came it came to Rome, right? As they say, it came to Rome. Yeah, and and all the all the pictures. I don't know if you've seen. There have been a few posts of some Italian. Um, some Italian fan who got a tattoo of Chiellini dragging back Saka and putting the the trophy out of reach, I think is just is comical. Um, but you know, I, I digress. Let, let's let, let's talk about Argentina, man, because you know, I had my family, we had my daughter's birthday party. I'm sorry, um, a graduation party, and the party ran late. And I'm like, you know what? The game is coming on. Grabbed the TV, put it outside, and you know, sat under tents and beers and cooking burgers and hot dogs and watching the game and just the Di Maria goal and, and, and everything went from there, man. I, I want your reaction to the entire, the entire day, the entire night, all of it, man. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was something, it was something woke up in the morning nerves. Um, I had one meal throughout the entire day. I was 
beyond nervous. I literally had I had a burger at noon and that was it. And the match was at 8 p.m. So for the next eight hours, I had no food, barely any water. Uh, probably not the smartest idea, but whatever. It was worth it. Um, that Di Maria goal. I mean, I, I screamed. I lost my voice for, for a couple of minutes. And then the nerves kicked in where it's like, like oh, oh boy, we actually have a lead to defend. Like, how, how am I going to last the next you know, 60, 80 odd minutes. And, um, you know, then at one point Brazil gained momentum in the second half and the nerves, you know, got worse and worse. And then for me, what took roughly 25 years off my life was that messy miss at the end because he missed it. Brazil got the ball and they were countering. And it was just like, oh boy, like not, not one of these scenarios where you have a chance to go 2-0 up, kill the game. But instead of doing that, you miss, and then Brazil kind of equalize. Because let's be honest, if Brazil equalize and this match goes to extra time, chances are Brazil wins it. Luckily, it wasn't the case. Um, the referee blew the final whistle. I just buried my face and just started. I let out like the ugliest cry ever. Uh, not, not a shame to say it, but just the ugliest cry ever. It was everything like the frustration of the past whatever it was five or six finals lost seeing the team finally win something for the first time in my life like you know aside from the olympics and the inner 20s and it's just that heartbreak after heartbreak i mean like i'll say this now because obviously you guys won the euro so congrats you could finally bring it up but you know do you remember how you felt when trezeguet scored for france and versus italy in 2000 yes I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, not a very good feeling, right? right. Exactly. Have, yeah. Having that. Oh, when Baggio, when Baggio missed his penalty that, as well. Or Baggio in 94, right? That was, I, I like, would say the Baggio having, one was even more uh, painful, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because it was, it was a World Cup and it's a final, right? Right. But having that feeling just built up for the past, I don't know how many years now, waiting over two decades to, for this team to actually win something and then they do and versus brazil with everything that we discussed you know the last time i was on the copa america how they got it what's you know the referees and everything because we saw that bias from from the referee throughout the tournament maybe not so much in the final but all of that versus brazil at the maracana oh man it was the ugliest cry it was the ugliest screaming but man was it ever worth it and i i died i died that game and, and died and went to heaven <laughs> i mean I, I think a lot of you know and, I, and i'm thankful that i have a lot of people that support argentina and you know we're very happy about this as well because you know it's been 28 years exactly since their last title obviously with the exception of what we saw last week they went to multiple finals the world cup final <laughs> included um so, Roy, I mean, it kind of does feel as if, though, you know, a generation or even two of them have finally been able to feel what it means to win something significant, a Copa America, World Cup, whatever it may be. Um, but I just wanted to go more into what this team achieved. I think the achievement is huge when you think about it. I mean, you know, beating Brazil, and I, I haven't even said it here, like, I think Brazil, this was their Copa America to lose because of everything that had been going on, because of the team that they had, and they were just, for me, the strongest team in South America. So, for an achievement like this, obviously, it's not comparable to what Argentina did in 78 or 86 and winning a World Cup. That's that's not going to be ever compared, but 
for at least in terms of a Copa America in this format, it, it's got to be up there as one of the better achievements in the history of Argentine football, at least in recent memory. It has to be. Like for me, and then, <clears throat> sorry, like you said, Roberto, I mean, you can't compare it to 78 or 86. But for me, it's up there. 78, 86 are the top two games, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, being important for the national team. For me, this is number three. I cannot think of another game that comes in at number three just because it's been 28 years. It's the drought. It's versus Brazil, at Americana, everything. I mean, yeah, they won the, the Copa America 91, which was huge. They won it in 93, which was huge. But to go 28 years, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a generation. It's a generation. I was born, you know, before 91 and 93, but you know, I was very young, don't remember anything. Uh, a lot of these players that were on this team last Saturday that won the Copa America were not even born the last time Argentina won a trophy. Like Julian Alvarez was not born the last time Argentina won a trophy, yet here he is on the squad, or here he was on the squad. Uh, I think Gonzalo Montiel and Molina, like a, a lot of these guys were not born yet or were probably a year old. So in terms of it being important, for me, this is, it's number three. Yeah, you have 78, 86, I'm not going to argue. Number three has to be this Copa America. So I wanted to go into more of how this was done. I mean, obviously, we could talk about the influence of Lino Messi, and I think he was absolutely the best player of the tournament, and you saw that in the way that he was dictating the play, you know, providing the goal, the assist. And, you know, Joe, you can jump in on this one because that was really the main factor that was going to be determined on Argentina's success. We have said it multiple times, be on Twitter spaces or even on, on podcasts. Like, it was all going to depend on how the other players step up for the way that Lionel Messi does all the work necessary, mm-hmm. how they were going to step up. And we saw that. And then, Joe, I, wanna, I want your opinion on this as well, because I think for Scaloni, I think he was able to do something that other managers beforehand that had, had dealt with Messi before, like so you know, Maradona, mm-hmm. Sabella obviously made it to World Cup Finals, so that's different, Martino, Bauza, Sampaoli, all those managers, they weren't able to achieve what Scaloni did and to provide a system that allows Lionel Messi to play the way that he kind of does at Barcelona, not in the similar way that he does, but at least have those players go and support him and you kind of did see that, obviously, with, with the way that the, the final setup. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Roy jump in and correct me if I if, if he disagrees with me. But for me, what I saw in this tournament were two things. One of them we've seen before. We've seen Messi on a mission. You know, I'm reminded of 2014 in the World Cup. Uh, you know, Messi looked like he was on a mission, but the players had no idea how to play with Messi. In this tournament. I saw Messi on a mission again. I mean, it looked like the same fire I saw in 2014, but Scaloni was able to get the players to play with Messi. And I think that was the biggest difference. We've seen in previous iterations of the Argentinian national team, you see Messi beat three. And I I think we said this the last time we talked. You see Messi dribble by two, three guys. You see him, you know, break down three or four players. He makes a pass. And whoever is on the receiving end of that pass, the first thing they always want to do is pass it back to Leo. And we didn't see that quite as much into this tournament, and we really didn't see quite as much of it in in the Brazil final. We saw Messi break down those dribbles, get through a couple players, play the ball, and then we saw those players do what they would normally do, including Di Maria with the great finish. This is what what needed to happen, you know, for the past fifteen years with with Lionel Messi, and it finally under Scaloni, it finally did did happen. Um, you know where 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 they were contributing 
to support Messi, not so much looking to just give back the ball to the to the god because we this is what's required. They started to play within themselves as well as play with Messi, and I think that was the difference. And and Roy, I'm going to give that back to you because if you if you disagree with me, please do. But that was kind of what I saw looking at it from the surface. But you're definitely much deeper in. What do you what did you think of that? No, I, I agree. I agree to a certain extent. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, 2014, I feel like the team knew how to play. Uh, they were just kind of unlucky. But definitely everything afterwards, it was kind of like, okay, well, let's let's look for Messi to to kind of do everything. And to a certain degree, we saw this when Scaloni took over and when Messi was integrated into the team. You know, the final third, Messi would do everything, like you said. He'd dribble past a couple of players, play the pass in, and then they'd try and find Messi again. And I think... That's something that they corrected. Uh, Scaloni kept mentioning it for a while. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul, a couple of other players as well. They said, look, Messi is just another one of us. He's just another one of the boys, another one of the guys on the team. And we have to treat him as such. And we saw that, like you said, throughout this tournament. You know, in previous editions, Messi plays the ball, he gets it back and it gets blocked or he gets mar- he gets man marked out of it. This time, not so much. You know, yes, the player said we want to win this for Messi and we're playing for Messi. Absolutely. But everyone understood their role on the team very, very well. And they understood that, look, if you have the chance, go for it. Stop trying to pass it back to Messi. And and that really was the main deciding factor. You know, you look at some of the players that have also stand out. Obviously, you know, Di Maria got the goal, that Paul got the assist. But Roy, I wanted to go into, like, who really outside of Messi has impressed you the most? And, you know, the fact that we can talk about so many players. You can talk about Emiliano Martinez kind of really... Nermiano Martinez, who maybe a little over a year ago wasn't even considered to be on the national team. And now you could say that after this tournament, he's probably going to be the undisputed starter for them for 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 a long for quite some time. You could talk about the defense and the likes of Cristiano Romero, you know, being um, a young, exciting player that I think Atalanta are going to be very happy to get. Obviously, DePaul, Leandro Paredes, you know, I really also enjoyed the likes of uh, Lo Celso and, you know, even even Lautaro Martinez, even though he did struggle a little bit, but he did get the goals as well. I mean, who, who really, outside of what Lionel Messi did, uh, impressed you the most during this tournament? I, I mean, look, there's, there's guys you mentioned. Martinez was the hero versus Colombia, full of confidence throughout the tournament, even during the qualifiers. So he's definitely one that's up there. Romero's been a revelation for us. Uh, just incredible. I mean, he played on, on painkillers in the final and that in and of itself, you know, to be selected to play on painkillers at such a young age. And he made his national team debut last month. I mean, he wasn't really in contention the last time the team played. Uh, another one that got a lot of stick before the tournament and during the tournament. And he's a veteran, Nicholas Otamendi. He stepped it up, barely put a foot wrong the entire tournament. Uh, absolutely, for me, he was a standout. Um, there are so many you can name. De Paul, uh, Lotaro Martinez. Yeah, he, you know, he got some very important goals, but he understood his role in, in the team. And I don't think there's anyone else that could have done the role that Lo, that Lotaro had as well as he did. Not Aguero, not you know Icardi or anyone else. It was definitely Lotaro. And you know, you look at Montiel in the final, the bloody ankle, and he he was a monster. He was a monster as right back at right back in the final. This is there are so many names and I could run through them all. All twenty eight that were in the squad, they all played, you know, a role. Papu Gomez coming off as you know as a substitute or coming on as a starter versus Bolivia and just he showed the depth and there's so many, so many of them. 
all of them, all of them. But if I had to pick just one, I would actually go with two because I can't separate them. It would have to be Christian Romero and Emiliano Martinez. Those two were the standouts, obviously, aside from from Messi for me. Definitely. So now looking into the future and obviously, you know, now they have to focus on qualifying for the World Cup. And, you know, as you know, it's not an easy case, even if you are a Copa America champions. I'm looking at you, Chile. Uh, so I, I think um, obviously that's the big challenge right now for them. But, you know, certainly assuming that they do qualify for Qatar and, you know, obviously keep the base of players that won this Copa America and, and, and go on a good run, I, I think you can really put them into consideration to be one of the favorites for the World Cup. Do you feel that way? Or do you still think that, no, it's it's still... And, and you know, obviously, Argentina have the history, so they're obviously going to be up there, as always, as candidates, especially when you have the likes of Lionel Messi. But now, what we see from this team, what we see from, obviously, an advanced Lionel Messi, which is probably going to be his final tournament on an Argentina shirt, or maybe of his career... What do you see the the outlook of this side now looking into the future within the next year or so? I think they have to be one of the favorites. There's definitely some things that they have to fix. And even, you know, Messi himself said it after winning the Copa America. You know, he mentioned, yeah, there's some things we have to work on. I think they have to be one of the favorites, not just because of the talent that they possess, but because winning the Copa America, finally winning something, relieves that pressure because if you think of it since 93 Argentina have gone into every tournament having won nothing since 93 so that extra added pressure that has been on their shoulders since 93 is no longer there this is a relatively young team for the most part it's a young team it's a team that knows how to win it's a team that knows how to win under the most difficult of circumstances and when you combine that with the harmony that they have with the talent that they have with the X factor that is Lionel Messi. And like you said, in all likelihood, this will be his final ever tournament. You, you cannot rule them out. You cannot count them out. In my opinion, they're not the favorites, obviously. And we're still about, you know, a year, year and a half away from Qatar. And this is assuming Argentina qualify. Um, but you have to like, just the fact that they won the Copa and that, like I said, that extra added pressure is no longer there. That, in and of itself counts for a lot. And this is a team that, this is a group of friends. It's not just a team. This is legitimately a group of friends. And the bond is there. The connection's there. The talent's there. The coach is there. You can't really doubt Scaloni much. And you have Messi. So, yeah, they, they have to be one of the favorites. And like I said, year and a half left, but you can't, you cannot count them out ever. Well, it's, uh, it's funny. Not. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that kind of pressure, you know, obviously, you know, given the fact that, that they have that history, like I mentioned. But don't you think, you know, after winning this Copa America, especially in the way that they did it now provides even more expectations for them heading into the World Cup, assuming that they qualify for it? Uh, look, possibly, possibly, because you know how fans can be, you know how the media can be, how demanding, you know, in, in that sense. Oh, well, you guys got the Copa America. Why can't you get the World Cup? Obviously, you're going to have some people that are like that. But I think this team absorbs pressure in a very good way um i think they handle it in a, in a very good way i don't think themselves will see it as pressure i think they'll see it as hey it's another goal it's another objective we want to reach and i think they can do it and who knows look it, it, it's obviously a lot can happen from now until then but uh, i don't see it being too much pressure on them just because like i said they they've been 
how could I put this? Like 2019, right? That was their first tournament under Scaloni. Made the semifinals. Arguably should have made the final. Next tournament, not only do they make the final, they actually win it. So if you take it like step by step, this team is doing well and they're not showing any signs of cracking under pressure. So if they end up seeing it as pressure, they haven't been cracking yet. Now, Roy, I want to jump in real quick because, you know, there's one player that was not selected for this Copa America side that is one of my favorites personally, and that's Paulo Dybala. Um, he's starting to, let's say, get older. He's 27 years old currently. Uh, many times you see him not selected because he kind of plays in the same role that Lionel Messi plays. Uh, they, they play very similar style, very similar position, and they've never been able to make both of them work together on the pitch. So my question to you is, uh, you know, obviously Dybala would be the future of this team, you would think, post-Messi. Um, how, does, how do they fit him in? When do they fit him in? And do you see a, a potential maybe bringing Dybala in for the World Cup strictly because Lionel Messi will be, you know, 35 years old at that point and and maybe not be able to handle the rigors of the heat of Qatar, the, the scheduling and all that stuff. Do you see Dybala coming in on this team and, and maybe lending that particular support that Messi gives uh, currently? Uh, I think a lot of that depends on Dybala. Uh, because if you look at Scaloni's track record with players, he has no problem dropping players from the squad. He has no problems dropping players from the starting eleven. And if we base it off of this season, and I, I love Dybala, I really do. But if we're basing it off of this season, Dybala on merit, on form, should not have been selected, if we're being honest. And someone like Alejandro Papo Gomez was, and I think we spoke about it last time I was here, Gomez kind of replaced Dybala in that you know backup messy role, so to speak. And you mentioned it just a couple of moments ago. You said, we've never really seen Dybala and Messi click. I mean, you know, we saw it a couple of times, Copa America versus Chile, and there was a friendly match, uh, I believe it was versus Uruguay or Brazil. But other than that, it's just been very small glimpses. Whereas when you had someone like Papu Gomez who came in versus Paraguay, uh, sorry, sorry, Roberto, no, I don't mean to, you know, to bring this up, but you know, versus Paraguay, he had that connection with Messi. Versus Bolivia, he had that connection with Messi. They have that understanding. Tibala hasn't. And could he get into the squad? Absolutely. Because like I said, Scaloni, for now anyways, he's shown to be someone that works on, on merit and on form. And Dybala has a season. He has a full season to make this World Cup squad next year. And this is make or break for him. Because he's 27, going to be 28, or possibly even 29 for the World Cup. Um something's got to give here. And you said he's going to be the, the, you know, the future, so to speak, after Messi, but if you're going to be the future at 28 or 29, I'm not sure how much of a future that is, to be honest. And I'm not trying to hate on Dybala because, like I said, I love him and I hope he makes the, the squad because I think he could be, like, he brings so much to the squad, to the team, especially if they're going to rest Messi and, you know, not not always play him. So I'd love to see him on there, but this depends on him. I think he took his spot for granted in the Argentina national team, not as a starter, but just being in the squad. Like, yeah, I'm Paulo Dybala, I'm good. And I think this one hurt him. I really think this one hurt him. He uploaded some videos a couple of weeks back, you know, in Miami. He's training, he's getting ready for the new season. And hopefully the focus for him is World Cup next year. And obviously not just Juventus, because if it's not, he can kiss Qatar goodbye. You know, I, I think for me... One of the things that hurt him a lot was the way Pirlo used him. There was injury issues this year, but the way Pirlo played him overall, I think, really hurt him 
you know, moving forward. Now that Allegri comes back in at Juventus, uh, Allegri is a big Dybala fan. We know that from previous years. I think you're going to see a, li- a different Paulo Dybala. Um, I think you'll see somebody that's probably a little more f- in form, fit, um, and-, and back to maybe that old style. And I, I think Scaloni will have a tough decision. And and Roberto will tell you, um, I am probably one of the biggest Papu Gomez fans in the world. I wish we could clone him and make a team of just 11 Papu Gomez's. Um, yeah, I said 11, including goalkeeper, because I think he could probably do it. That's a really that's a really small goalkeeper. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He can still do it. He's, you know, Pap- Papu's legendary, man. And and just, you know, just the the free spirit that Papu Gomez is. You saw the videos afterwards, right, of the dancing and stuff like that in the locker room. That That's the kind of energy every team needs. He brings it. Um, he doesn't necessarily have to do it on the pitch. He brings it off the pitch and makes everybody much more relaxed, much more, much happier. And uh, and I think you really got a taste of of the beauty of Argentina, partially because of the of the spirit Papu Gomez brings to the team. And then, like we said, you know, at the beginning, everyone learned how to play to support Messi, how to play with Messi and not try to put everything on Messi's shoulders. And, and the results are defeating Brazil in the Maracanã. Roberto, I know you have the fact in your head, but it was like the first time in. 30 years or something or 40 years that that Brazil lost a a competitive match at the Maracanã. Yep, that's right. Yeah, 1975 against Peru. That was the last time. Some insane number. Aside aside from, and also aside from losing the the games in the World Cup as well. It's it's just a crazy, crazy fact. Um, and, and, And Argentina were able to do it, so... Roy, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Again, congratulations to you, my friend. Uh, try to sober up sometime in the next month or so, because we're gonna have to we're gonna have to watch that uh, that Sergio Aguero Lionel Messi duo uh, attacking at Barcelona now that he's that Messi signed. And um, you know, best of luck with Mundalbi Celeste, and we're gonna have you back again soon, my friend. Also, you have to tell us when you get your Di Maria tattoo because you promised that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So. The, I, I am getting it. I am getting it. I looked up a couple of artists. Thing is, I haven't seen because I'm obviously based in Montreal. No artists in Montreal I've seen. I'm not really a fan of their style. I found two, but two are outside of the country. And I'm giving myself the most until September. And if I don't get something by September, then I'll just get it done in Montreal. But absolutely, as soon as I have it, you guys will know. Right, Trust me. We'll petition the Canadian government to open the border so that you can get that done, man. Because that's that's a priority. That's like national security type stuff. So that's got to happen, man. Um, So again, again, thanks for joining us, man. Congratulations. And talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, Joe, congrats for Italy once more. Grazie. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Bye. And special thanks again to Roy Neymar for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have some matches of the week come up. Uh, Like we said, the Euro's over, the Copa America's over, but we now are in the full swing of the Gold Cup. And coming up on Sunday, we have a great matchup between USA and Canada. Coming up, I believe the match is at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We're also going to have Mexico-El Salvador. Uh, Like, again, Mexico has struggled. Uh, Nil-nil versus Trinidad and Tobago. So there is potential for them to finish second in the group if they don't beat El Salvador in the final match. When we move on to Group C, we do have Costa Rica-Jamaica coming up on Tuesday. And in Group D, one of the one of the surprises um, that I think is an interesting watch, Honduras and Qatar on, on coming up on Tuesday as well. That's going to be a great matchup. This, match, this tournament will go into the quarterfinals on July 24th and 25th. The semifinals on July 29th, and the final will be played on August 1st. The reason I'm giving you those dates 
is because we are going to be off for the next two weeks and we'll be returning on August 7th. So uh, those are your matches of the week. Check your local listings. We're seeing preseason coming up now for many teams as well. So we are going to start to get back into club football as well as World Cup qualifying for Qatar 2022. So my friend, I have nothing else left on the books here to do tonight. So let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 332 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Roy Neymar for joining us. Again, we are off for the next two weeks. We will be back on August 7th. We'll bring you the Gold Cup recap. We'll start to look at the leagues as they get ready to fire up the 2021-2022 season in Europe. So for episode 332 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. 